I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. What's going on, people? Welcome to Pain Points, a Kano Supers podcast, proudly brought to you by the SB Nation Network. As usual, I'm your host, Jake Painting. You can find me on Twitter at Jake Painting, J-A-K-E-P-A-Y-N-T-I-N-G. You can find all of my written work over at Canis Hoopus, and you can find my guest's written work over at Canis Hoopus, Jack Borman. What's going on, Jack? I'm doing well, man. How are you? Yeah, yeah, pretty good. That's, that's all, you know, getting back into the swing of things now. Where We've been talking hoops for a while. We're watching hoops. We're you know, betting on hoops, so everything is getting back to normal when it comes to NBA, except the fact that they're they're in a bubble, but it's better than nothing. So so how have you felt, you know, have you found the first few days of ball? You know, hearing Mike Breen yell bang after <laughs> after a made three, um was was great. Hearing Doris Burke call call games is, is sweet too and Kevin Harlan's just insane enthusiasm and love for everything he does is is awesome and it's just it's incredible to to just be able to watch live basketball again and and see these guys still playing at such a high level despite the circumstances of everything and 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 being able to watch baseball too and um and the WNBA has been has just been awesome just being able to to consume live sports as much of it as I can uh has just been has been so needed after you know four months four months of, of pretty much no sports so yeah it's it's been such a long layoff and obviously you know the world hasn't really recovered from from you know covid and the things that have put sport on hold but it's really nice to have some sort of distraction from all the depressing you know things outside the outside the our windows so I'm um, stoked to have basketball back. I think as we're speaking right now, James Harden has like 25 points in the first quarter. So and he hasn't missed a shot, I don't think. Yeah, so, you know, regular regular scheduling has resumed. <laughs> and, you know, uh, I'm pretty keen for that. But today we're going to do our second um, part of the, the This or That Prospects. So we did the first part a couple of weeks ago. Pretty much just choosing between two upcoming draft prospects, um, hitting them together, choosing which one we'd rather have for Minnesota and kind of just digging into their games a little bit. So the first pairing we've got is Xavier Tillman from Michigan State, big man from Michigan State, or Killian Tilly, the Gonzaga Bulldog, who is also a big man. So what are you what are you thinking on them too? So the first thing that comes to my mind are guys that you'd love to have on your basketball team in any capacity. Yeah. Um, and both guys are, are absolutely exceptional on the offensive side of the floor because they're, they're both so versatile. They can play with just about anybody else around them. They can, 
you know, they're, they're really smart with the ball in their hands. They always make the right reads and plays um, if they're not looking to score uh, or even if they get the ball, they don't, neither of them puts the ball in the deck immediately or, or, you know, gives away what they're doing immediately. They keep all their options open and they're, and they're both really, really smart uh, with the ball in their hands. Um, And both are just really, really uh, versatile on the offensive side of the floor. They can score at all three levels. I think Tilly obviously is, is a much better scorer than, than Tillman is. Um, but I think Tillman, Tillman is a better facilitator and playmaker uh, in the high posts, on the pick and roll, on the short rolls, um, and even in passing short rolls to other bigs. Uh, Tillman, Tillman really stands out there as well. Um, it, it's really tough to try and try and choose between the two, and and ultimately right. I think Tilly has a higher floor in the NBA, le- or excuse me, a higher ceiling at the NBA level, just because he. Uh, like he, he has so many translatable skills from his shooting to his post game to, you know, his passing out of the post. I mean, there's so many different things that he does well. Um, but, but his health is just a huge red flag. Um, and just with how physical the NBA game is, uh, especially if he's going to be a guy that would have to be a small ball five at the next level. Um, which I think he would be. Yeah. I think, I think it might, it might be tough for him to stay healthy. And I think ultimately because of that, uh, I would probably rather take Xavier Tillman uh, for the Wolves, especially just because I, I like what he does on defense a little bit more than than Tilly, just because Tillman's really smart on that end of the floor. He's got great timing with his hands, his jumps, and he's he's able to stay straight up a lot, which which I appreciate a lot from from a guy who generally was an undersized five um, at Michigan State. So so I'd probably go Tillman here, but it's really close. And if you could promise me that that Tilly would stay healthy I think that would be enough to swing it for me yeah it's the health is the is the thing like I I did choose Tilly but every time I think about the health it's kind of like do I do I see him being in the NBA for 10 years I mean he struggled to get through four years of college you know without multiple leg ankle foot injuries and that that's a pretty big red flag for for a guy who's you know six foot ten six foot six foot eleven Obviously, like you said, I think they're both. I think they 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 have a lot of similarities in the fact that they're just solid all round players. Like Tilly, obviously, has a shooting that Tillman doesn't have. I trust him to be a forty percent shooter at the NBA. Oh, one hundred percent. His stroke, his stroke is yeah, his stroke is so nice. Uh, Tillman, better defender, like you said, amazing short roll passer. I think probably the best in the class, especially for a big at least. Uh, I think they're both definitely. I don't. I'm not sure if either of them are anything other than low end starters. But I think they could be really valuable low end starters. I mean, being a low end starter doesn't always mean you're not a really good player. And I think both of these guys could be really good players on on good teams. Um, this is the this is one of them picks where I, I have Tillman higher in my overall draft board, but I think I choose Tilly just because he fits Minnesota a little bit better with his ability to spread the floor and shoot threes. I mean, Tilly right. and Towns next to each other who can both shoot, both pass, both post up, that, that'd that be an awesome twin tail pairing. Yeah, and I think too, because I and and I I like Tilly ver, over a guy like Wancho. And the reason why I say that is just because Tilly is, Tilly is he's got a lot of, he's, he's got a lot of meat on the bottom. I mean, he's 220 pounds. Um, yeah. And, and he's, and he, I mean, he plays probably a little bit bigger than that just because he's filled out really nicely. 
uh, and doesn't have, you know, doesn't really give up a ton of ground when he gets guarded by, or, or excuse me, when he's guarding a true center that's a legit big guy. He's um, really strong. He's really strong in the yeah, hips and in the upper body. Right, which is, which is important, I think, for a guy who, you know, would probably spend time guarding legit fives at the next level. So uh, it'll, it'll just be easy, really interesting to see if he can stay healthy and, and you know, if he's a guy that, that maybe the Timberwolves look at at 33 as a, you know, just a really skilled guy that they just say, hey, I'm going to take a bet on a really skilled guy, uh, which I think is going to be important because with, you know, getting married to the idea of, of Russell and Towns, you're, you're not, and, and, you know, potentially foregoing a ton of different draft picks to try and go get Devin Booker if that ever, you know, comes to fruition. Having guys like Tilly who are really skilled that can that can produce for you on a nightly basis on a really cheap contract would be would be crucial. Yeah, yeah, I, I completely agree. And I know you've spoken about this before, but he's one of them guys who are just synergy superstars in, in college. So he like I've got it here in front of me. <laughs> yeah. seventy uh, fifth percentile in spot ups, ninety second percentile as a pick and roll roll man. 94th percentile in post-ups, 66th percentile on cuts, 96th percentile in transition, which is kind of surprising because he's a bit of a lumbering guy. But when once he gets going, you know, down the lane or or running in transition, he's actually quite athletic, which is He's got good touch, yeah. Yeah, and he's surprising since he's dealt with so many injuries to his lower body. And then 81st percentile on putbacks. So pretty much he's one of, he's one of the best college players, you know, in the country, I think, this season. He probably would have been, you know, close to the lottery pick in the last two seasons if he had have been able to stay healthy. But um, now, four years in with, you know, a myriad of injuries, it's it's got hard to predict whether he'll ever be able to play a long term role. And I guess that's what's going to scare teams off into the thirties or the forties. But like you said, I'd I'd take a swing at him at thirty three. Even if you play him as a backup five, like I think he's better than Nas Reed, and I think. Yeah, he, I think so. I think if he's playing fifteen to twenty minutes a night, maybe that preserves his body for for a little bit longer. So, yeah, I really like Tilly. I love Tillman as well. I just think Tilly probably fits Minnesota a, a smidge more. Yeah, I I agree completely. Um, and, and I just think too that you know Tilly's ability to finish around the basket on non post ups too as a as a cross post as a you know a cra- a cross key flasher. Um, are really key too, and something that I think would be really important, especially playing off a guy like Towns on the perimeter, um, would be would be something that would be really interesting, and I think fits that mold of kind of what they're looking for from an offensive standpoint from a four. So, so I yeah. I, I actually you know nor, now that I kind of think about it, I I'm kind of I might be right there with you taking taking Tilly. And just on that point of uh, like the the cross key kind of cutting and flashing, the way he cuts up and then can pass high-low is one of the most intriguing and kind of unique skill sets that I've seen in the draft this season just because he is a ridiculously good high-low passer. He doesn't have the touch on the short roll passing that Tillman does. I mean, he's still really good. He's just got really good vision and, and passing now in general. But his high-low passing, which which the Zags ran a ton. Yeah, is, especially with having Petrosev too. Yeah, and they they really hammered that play. So, and they they loved using Tilly at the top of the key or at the you know high post area. But I could see that working with Towns just because it's it's always so hard to get a post up for Towns just because the defense is cheating on him all the time. So, right. 
that's the kind of play I'd like to see. You know, like if they got Tilly or they got another big, even you know, they played two bigs together, which it's you know unknown whether they'll ever do that. But that's the kind of thing I'd like to see to kind of get Tilly involved, get Towns involved. You can get him at the top of the key if they want to double off him. That that probably becomes a spot up, like a spot up three. And if they they play him tough, then he can get that high low pass into Towns, and, and that's a bucket. Yeah, exactly. I think that's awesome. It, it'd be it'd be such a welcome sight just because Wancho isn't really a guy that can that can pass and and James Johnson I think is I think it'd be really interesting to see those guys play together and see kind of what you're talking about with a little bit more of the playmaking spot out of the four that can that can work with Towns that can get him the ball um, but but yeah I, th- I think it'd be it, it, I'd you know I'd love it and and it's just going to come down to I think if teams believe in his health or not and I think with um, with Robbie Sicka and and a lot of the different you know, pe- really smart people that the Wolves have in the building on the medical on the medical side of things. Um, I think, you know, I think they'll do their homework and and wouldn't be surprised to to see them pull the trigger. Yeah, for sure. Um, so the next pairing is Jamias Ramsey from Texas Tech and Jared Butler from Baylor. Uh, these are two guys that I hadn't really seen a ton of. Like I, I researched, a, I researched a fair bit last night, and I kind of tried to shape up a little bit on them, but I'm not. Uh, I guess I'm still going on a bit of a preliminary reading on those guys, so that's a, a bit of a forewarning. But for you, who do you pick between those two guys? So I picked Jared Butler, and the reason why I picked Jared Butler is because ultimately I think that he's going to be a really good on-ball defender once he kind of gets in an NBA strength and conditioning program and can just add a little bit more you know, muscle onto his frame. Cause he's, he's really not that big. I think he's only like six, three and 190 pounds. Um, and, and obviously if you're going to be playing point guard, uh, you're going to really need to need to bulk up probably closer to the two Oh five range. I mean, if he got up to two Oh five and muscle, I think that he would be a problem uh, yeah. <laughs> on the defensive side of the floor for a lot of opposing teams, just cause he has all out hustle. He, he moves really well laterally. His timing is incredible, and and just some of the some of the instincts and, and vision he has on the defensive side of the floor are are really special. Uh, and not to mention, you know, he's a, he's a very very good three point shooter, um, and very consistent, might I add as well. Just because you know he's he shot thirty six point seven percent from his career, but uh, on high volume, he's averaged he ever he shot thirty eight percent on on almost seven attempts per game this year in, at Baylor. Um, and, and just love, love everything about Jared Butler, uh, as, as a player, I think he, he struggles to finish around the rim a little bit. And I think some of that has to do with his frame. Um, and, and just that, I think he's, he's got to get a little bit better body control when he's in the air. I, I, I don't really think he shies away from contact much, but, um, but I think just needs to do a, a better job of, I guess, of, of practicing, getting hit and adjusting in the air. Uh, which which can be tough for guys at the college level, I think, especially if they didn't have to do it a ton at the high school level. Um, and and with Jemias Ramsey, you know, I think he's going to be a really good isolation scorer at the next level. I don't know how efficient he's going to be, but but I do buy his catch and shoot. Um, you know, his yeah. catch and shoot abilities. He's he's a good off ball player, in in the sense of of getting into his spots and 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 getting good looks for three. Um, and, he, and he's really dynamic in transition too. Um, but he, he, at times, you know, his shot selection is, is a bit poor. Um, and, and we saw that with Culver too, just cause I think those guys were, were very clearly the number one options in their respective years at, at Texas tech. Um, but, but yeah, I think that the Jemias Rams, has some upside as a playmaker too. He's a really good ball handler, um, and, and could, could probably be a, a secondary creator, 
um, or potentially run the bench offense if, if you need it, uh, depending on depending on who's out on the floor with him. But uh, but yeah, I, I would I would take Butler and, and pretty comfortably. Yeah, see, I actually, uh, of course, like like I said before, I, I haven't watched enough of these guys where I'm really confident like I am with, with most other guys. But I took Ramsey just pretty much based on, on the size advantage. I thought watching both of them, I wasn't really inspired, you know, by their shot creation, slashing, or I guess ability to be like a plus playmaker at the next level. But I think I was pretty uh, pretty happy to see that both of them were were. Very good shooters, I thought. I thought Ramsey, I thought, um, sorry, I thought Butler was a better shooter, but I think Ramsey just at, at his six foot size, six foot four size, six ten wingspan, which is really big for a guy who's probably a an undersized two. Like I don't think he's a, right. I don't think he's a pure point guard. He he's rangy too. Yeah, and I think that I don't think right now he's a better defender than Butler. I mean, I definitely don't think that, but I think at the NBA level, you know that when they both get that kind of training and and sharpening up their skills as a defender, I think that six foot ten wingspan could potentially make him into a better defender and just give him a bit more versatility, you know, able to guard ones or twos. And then still be an above average shot maker. I think he's got a really smooth looking stroke. I noticed some off movement shooting as well, which is pretty encouraging. Ranked in the ninety first percentile in the catch in catch and shoots, like you said before. Only 32nd percentile off the dribble, so not a great shot creator, like I said, but I think just based on, I, I don't know, I kind of couldn't separate them enough where I was really confident taking one guy, so I went with Ramsey just because I think that size kind of helps him slot into more teams, and especially Minnesota, where he could probably play the two and maybe even a little bit of pseudo point guard. Yeah, the one thing I wanted to notice is is I uh, just this that he said I, I I didn't see Ramsey having a six ten wingspan anywhere, but and, and yeah, and it was I, on the it was on the him, which where I saw it, which are normally pretty reliable, but they said like okay. you know, they said like rumored, so it's obviously not confirmed, okay. but but they are yeah. guys who don't often you know report yeah, things if the they're not the, true. The number that I had was like six six or six seven, but and that's but a big difference. If it, like, yeah, six, yeah. And huge. so the thing that I was going to mention just too about Jamias Ramsey is that I think his ceiling is higher than Butler's, and and I don't really think there's any arguing that. But I think that Butler has a pretty good floor for a guy that you'd take, um, you know, in the second round. Um, and I think Jemias Ramsey will probably end up being a first round pick. Yeah, and I but, and I don't love him, you know. Like I don't think I'd take him in the first round if it was if I was a GM of a team. But you know, maybe maybe an early second. I think both of them are probably early second rounders. Yeah, and I think Jemias Ramsey too. The problem that I had with him, I guess, is that he just likes he. He he just doesn't lock in on the defensive end of the floor. He's he's had shades of being a really good on ball defender, um, and and you know also when he's paying attention and is really locked in can jump into passing lanes and fly around on, on defense and, and just blow up plays, which is, you know, which is obviously something that you'd love to see, but, but just doesn't, doesn't didn't do it consistently. And, and I, you know, if he's a guy that's going to buy in and, and do that at the next level, I'd, I'd get really excited uh, about his prospect uh, or about him as a prospect and his, you know, potential fit on the wolves, I think comes down to, how much he could lock in on defense, and then if his you know forty three percent three point shooting can can continue at the next level. Yeah, for sure. I think I don't think I'd be 
thrilled if either of these guys ended up on Minnesota. But I also, you know, I, I'm struggling to split hairs between them because I think there's both good things and bad things that they both do. The point you make about Ramsey's defense is definitely true. I mean, he's very inconsistent defensively. It's pretty evident when you when you start yeah, watching. Yeah, and just the for both of them, just the struggling to get to the rim is such a big thing for a point guard. Yeah, you know, if, you, if you're exactly. going to play point guard, you need to be able to get to the rim or at least have that that really nice, you know, baby runner. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and and Ramsey's a pretty explosive athlete, um, especially in the open floor. And so I'd hope that. You know, if he can, I mean, he's already a pretty good ball handler as it is, in my opinion, uh, for a guy who isn't really a true point guard. But, you know, if he, it, it kind of comes back to like the Wiggins thing where like Wiggins couldn't always super effectively utilize his uh, his really quick first step because his, his ball handling wasn't there yeah. and just didn't really allow him to be quite as explosive. And I think if Ramsey can tighten up his handle, I think he'd be much more effective off the dribble trying to get down to the rim. Um so it'll, it'll just be interesting to see how he develops because I could he could end up being, you know, one of the five six best players in this draft if if he reaches his ceiling. But I just I I, I don't trust that that he's going to he's going to reach that ceiling. But we'll see. Yeah, yeah, I, I do agree with all of you with all your points there. I'm kind of torn between those two guys. Um, number three pairing number three. I uh, know. I think I know your answer for this one. So, Cassius. Oh yes, you do. Cassius Stanley or Jaden McDaniels. Um. So this one is is fun for me because, I so I pick Cassius Stanley, and Cassius Stanley is probably one of my ten favorite prospects in the draft. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not saying that that he's in my top ten, but he. I. I. I would. I would like if I were an NBA GM, I would take Cassius Stanley with a mid first round pick. And he's not being mocked even remotely close to that. He's generally being mocked like, in the, in I don't know, the like the high thir- high thirties, yeah. low forties. Uh, but I just think he has so many directly translatable skills that that would just I think make him a surefire safe bet in the, at the NBA level. He he has a forty six and a half inch vertical, which would already be the highest vertical in the NBA, or tied with Zach Levine. So his athleticism is insane. He broke all of Zion's uh, athleticism records at Duke uh, this past year, and he's a really, really good perimeter shooter. I, I love his stroke. It's it's something that you know I think he'll have no issue adjusting to the NBA range, and he would instantly be one of the best players in the NBA in transition. Uh, he's really smart decision maker knows when to dump it off to teammates knows when to go throw up for lobs space out on the perimeter and and kind of fly out to the corners for threes um and just his downhill driving and attacking ability like like we were just talking about with ramsey i think once he becomes a little bit better ball handler i don't think he'll have any issue whatsoever uh getting to the rim and finishing through and over defenders uh, I'm, I'm a little down in his his ball handling as it is right now but but again that's something that I think it's a good weakness to have if you're going to have any because it's something that you can correct by just simply getting in the gym and working on it. Um, it's not like it's not like a, a mental thing or anything like that. And and, and Cassius Stanley is a, is a great dude too. Um, so I, I picked him. And, and with Jaden McDaniels, like, <laughs> uh, so with my job, I, I'm a marketing. I work in marketing um, for Prep Hoops, which is a, a scouting service that covers high school basketball across the country and 
And so I, I've seen quite a bit of Jaden McDaniels play as he's come up and, and ended up watching him a lot at Washington between, you know, watching games that we, you know, that I'd bet on or, or watching, you know, my good friend Tyrell Terry play um, and, and wanting to see what's going on in, in the Pac-12. Um, saw a lot of him play. He should be a top, he should have been a top five pick in this yeah, year's draft. Yeah. His talent is that good and his ceiling is that high. But um, he's just one of those guys where his work ethic is not there. There's huge mental, mental red flags in the sense that he just, he does not lock in and he has a lot of maturity issues and it's evident because he pouts and complains constantly when he gets called for fouls. He, uh, he, you know, gets technical, he'll, he'll get technical fouls just for yelling at the refs and he'll tune out of games if he gets in foul trouble early. And it, you can tell that Mike Hopkins just really struggled with trying to, get him to buy in constantly. Um, and when he was locked in on defense, the flashes were insane. Like I'm yes. talking all defensive potential yeah. on, on defense. His, and he's, he's six foot 10 with a seven foot wingspan. And, and he's, you know, a small, he, and he's a small forward. So like, and he moves as gracefully as yeah. any guy that large that I've ever seen. Yeah. But the bad, uh, the bad just outweighs the good by so far. Yeah. And, and they're just like, you you can't even really truly consider him to to draft him as a prospect if you know he's got all of these all these red flags like he's a really good perimeter shooter he's an incredible ball handler and playmaker for a guy his size and would probably be the best defensive weapon maybe besides you know James Wiseman in this draft um or Aneka or in this draft if if he brought it on every play in every game but he just doesn't and um, because of that, I, I'd rather have Cash Stanley. Like, obviously, the the ceiling is better with McDaniel's, but but you know, I I I'm really intrigued by by Stanley as a prospect, and think he's going to be a a huge steal if he slips to forty something or thirty three. Like, I I would buy a pick to go get Cash Stanley. Yeah, I literally agree with you on every point there. Like, Jaden McDaniel's is probably the biggest wild card, you know, from. Not even from game to game, but from possession to possession. Like, one play, he'll make a crisp rotation, you know, swat the ball off the backboard, take the rebound, and, and, you know, Giselle up the court and and score. And then the next three plays, he'll fall asleep on defense. He'll jack up a contested mid-range, you know, off one dribble when he has an open guy in the corner. He's just an absolute roller coaster of emotions. I mean, I loved watching him just because it's so, like entertaining to watch a guy who you just have no idea what he's going to do but i'm not a washington fan if if he was playing for minnesota i don't think i'd love love watching him just because that's not the kind of player i think you want on your team even in a minor role i think he he may maybe those maturity issues which are very true maybe they fix themselves as he gets older i mean he's obviously still a young dude but it's it's going to have to go a long way for that to become enough to, to, I guess, suck the most out of his potential. But maybe, I mean, in, in the late first round, I don't think he's a good pick. In the mid-second round, that's when I think Jaden McDaniels is the kind of pick you want. But uh, I, it's just my, it's just crazy to me to, to sit here, like knowing how incredible of a player he is when he's locked in. Yeah, and to be thinking like he's a good pick in the second round is just crazy. It's just crazy. Like it, it's not completely out of the realm of like good takes or, or like sensibility. Um, but man, it's just like, 
I've seen him play since he was a sophomore in high school as just like an otherworldly high school talent. And it's, it's just, it just blows my mind that he's let himself slip to, to, to be considered where he is now. It's just, is wild to me. Um, yeah. So, so I try wish, to stand wish, wish he can put it together. Like I, I hope he goes to like Miami or Boston or, Denver or some place like that where they can they can turn him around. Yeah, I think he needs to be in the G League for for a stint. You know, at least to if he's not going to sharpen up his maturity, at least sharpen up his actual you know awareness and decision making. He he's one of the worst decision makers I think in the class, which you know doesn't go hand in hand with his actual skill set. Yeah, and I think from the sense of like reading the game and getting up to the speed of an NBA game, I think it would I think it would be great for him to be in the G League, but. Part of me also says I think he should really be with the NBA team because I think being around guys that are going to really challenge him as a as a dude, not yeah. not, as a, not just as a player, but as a dude. Like if you put Jaden McDaniels with Jimmy Butler in Miami or that, <laughs> around that infrastructure, you know, like there's a chance he like might not even be with the team by like the time the next season kicks off, but like. <laughs> If if it worked, it would be one hell of a bet that, that they would be making. So, yeah, exactly. And but, so I chose Stanley, like, for all those reasons. I mean, I think Stanley, that eye-popping athleticism, you know, 6'6", better-looking jumper, and more accurate than McDaniels. I mean, I think he has the ability to be a really solid defensive wing as well. He kind of strikes me as one of those... those 3 and D guys out of the second round who tend to stick around for a long time, especially with his athleticism and the way he'll be able to punish teams in transition and, you know, off hard closeouts and straight line drives. I think that's the kind of player who, who sticks around for a long time, even if he's not the kind of player who has this, you know, mouth-watering potential and everyone sees as a guy who could, who could be a star in a few years. But I think he's definitely a star in your role type player. And... I can see him, yeah, like I said, being a 3-and-D, you know, a really athletic 3-and-D kind of guy for 10-plus years. And if you're getting that at, you know, in Minnesota's case, at pick 33, I think you've done pretty well because by the second round in this draft, you know, you might be pretty hit and miss. Well, the second round of all drafts, you're pretty hit and miss whether you're even getting a rotation-level player. So I'd, I'd definitely be happy with Stanley at 33. I think I'd probably be happy with McDaniels at 33 just because, like, this team just needs to take chances. But I don't have that much faith that he's going to work out. So I definitely would rather, yeah. rather stay. And, and, and the other thing, too, is, like, kind of retaking chances. Like, you, you can't just draft a bunch of or pick up a bunch of Nas Reeds. And that's not to, that's not to slight Nas Reed, but it's just that, you know, I don't think this team, especially considering the extenuating circumstances of the potential sale of the team, um, ha- the margin of error has shrunk significantly. Yeah. And they they don't have the time to just sit around and wait and try and and try and try and just wait for all these guys to develop. Like I, I love you know Sam Newman back and what they've been doing in in, in Iowa, but um, you just wonder how like what the timeline is going to be there. Um, and, and how that's going to play out. But um, so we got a couple of point guards, a couple of point guards next. Yeah. So so we when we, we hadn't discussed our answers, but we were kind of having a little discussion before. And these two guys are like, because they're obviously different players, but these guys, two guys are 
pretty much two of the most similar players you could imagine coming out of the draft, and that is uh, Michigan State's Cassius Winston and Malachi Flynn. Um, like I, Why don't you go first? Yeah, yet? I think they, they... I went with Flynn. Um, I really like Cassius Winston. I spoke about him with, with Tyler Metcalf a, a few weeks ago, but it's because they remind me so much of each other and their strengths and weaknesses are so similar. I went with with Flynn just because he's two years younger, pretty much, like, more room to develop. I think they're both electric in the pick and roll. Um, both electric in the pick and roll, both really good passers and scorers, pull-up shooters, uh, both very undersized, six foot one, under 200 pounds. I think they, they have really high defensive IQs, but don't have have the size or the strength to to be a positive on that end. So I think they'll probably be hunted pretty consistently, both both guys in the NBA as a defender. But yeah, I, in the end of the day, I, I chose Flynn just because I think he's too, like he well he is two years younger, and I think he probably has a little bit more room to develop in both game and body. I mean, he's a great pick and roll passer. He, he's so fun as a pick and roll passer. I don't think he's quite the pull-up shooter that, that Cassius Winston is, who, like, Cash yeah, might have been the I best pull-up shooter in the country this season, and that's not even, you know... Uh, no, that's not ever. Yeah. I, I, think, I think when you're looking at those two, the trade-off is, would you rather have Cassius Winston's pull-up abilities, um, especially in the mid-range than pick-and-roll against, like, a drop defense, or would you rather have, you know, Malachi Flynn's ability to move without the ball and, and catch and shoot and a variety of ways off screens or off handoffs yeah. and all these different things. I think he, he's a more dynamic shot maker uh, kind of w- without off, with, or he's a more dynamic shot maker on shots that are not off the dribble. Whereas Cassius Winston is better on the dribble. Um, and I chose Flynn as well. And part of the reason why I chose Flynn is because I think his ability to get to the rim and finish is for me projects probably a little bit higher than Winston's just because he's really creative with the ball and he's he was a really good ball handler. Um, and then to just throw on top of the fact that he might, he might be the best pick and roll playmaker in the draft. Um, just, he looks so comfortable in it and he's, he always makes the right reads and, and, and his team, he just, his teammates are always in the right spots for him. And or when his teammates are in the right spots, he, he hits them without fail every single time. Yeah. Um, and, and just, it's just, it's, you know, especially for a guy that, that played on a team that didn't really get a whole lot of love. Uh, I, I think that, you know, his ability to just put his head down and, and do everything that was asked of him was, was really sensational. And just to throw a couple of numbers at you, read the, uh, the pick and roll playmaking that he had, he was 98 or 96 percentile, um, as a PNR ball handler and in pick and rolls, including passes that he made. 401 possessions, so an absolutely enormous sample size. 51.2% field goal percentage for him and his teammates, um, and 61.6% um, effective field goal percentage, and they scored 50% of the time. That's that, that's that's insane. He was in the 97th percentile there, and, and those are numbers, especially on that huge of a sample size, that I, I just trust wholly going into the NBA, and especially... You know, if you're talking about fit on the Timberwolves with a guy like Carl Anthony Towns, um, I think that his, his ability to get Cat the ball in, in a variety of different ways in the pick and roll would just be 
would be incredibly valuable. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And I think, like you said, that he's a really good off-ball mover. Not the you know not going to light the world on fire as a shooter, but definitely a respectable shooter and should be able to play off the ball a little bit uh, with Russell. You know, if, if you're playing a two-point guard lineup, I think he could play on the ball as a pick-and-roll player and definitely facilitate Russell and kind of maximize his off-ball abil- ability. But then when Russell, you know, inevitably needs the ball in his hands himself, I've, I'd have no problem with Flynn playing off the ball on offense. I mean, that, that lineup on defense, I think, would be pretty bad. But it's going to be pretty bad, I think, with Flynn or, Regardless. or Russell. Yeah, either way. So I think, you know, pretty good kind of combo point guard guy who can play off the bench, who can play, you know, spot minutes as a starter. Just just a fun player as well. Like, he's the guy, kind of guy who I just think if he ended up in Minnesota or, or Cassius Winston, you know, to be fair, I think they're the... And Cassius is already interviewed with the two. Yeah, yeah. And I think they'd be guys who instantly become fan favorites. I mean, they're the kind of guy you, you overlook their defense just because you have so much fun watching them manipulate pick and rolls and, you know, hit threes pull-up jumpers it's just it's a lot of fun to watch either of these guys and they're ju- yeah just really really smart yeah too. um so it, it yeah and, and the thing with flynn um it, too is that i think that he would be really really interesting off the ball with a guy like russell to see what because i you know we saw a little bit of what he could do off the ball at san diego state but just seeing exactly how good he could be with an incredible passer like Russell would be would be something that would be a ton of fun for me just as like a basketball fan not, not even just a Wolves guy but just a basketball fan would be would be so fun to see and, watch. and especially so I kind of selfishly hope that that yeah happens. and especially in a system that's really you know designed to get open threes and, and to spread the floor and, and let the big you know like let towns kind of go to work but also have shooters around him and have guys moving off screens to try and get open threes like that seems to be the thing that could really maximize his ability as an off-ball player. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to the deal. Listen to the deal on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It, I, yeah, it's close, but I think given, given where the Timberwolves are and, and kind of how their offense is going to work with spacing, I think I'd rather have, I'd rather have a more dynamic off the ball player. In, in yeah. And I think, like I said, that two years younger is still a big thing for me. I mean, I'm not a big subscriber to, to right. You know, age is everything. Like, I'm happy to pick a senior, you know, in the first round if I think he's going to... But when it's that close. Yeah, exactly. When you're splitting hairs, like, to you know, 20-year-old to a 22-year-old is... That's a lot of development that you could potentially, you know, cram in in those two years. And maybe by the time he's Winston's age, he's a much better player. 
Yeah, exactly. And yeah, I mean, and granted, like Malachi Flynn is only a junior too. So yeah, exactly. So um, yeah, like yeah. So we'll get into the next two guys if you if you want, which it's another two point guards. These guys probably more late first round picks rather than the the second round picks that Flynn and Winston were, but. Minnesota native, and I'm sure you know, fan of, um like fan favorite of the podcast is Trey Jones, uh versus Nico Nico Mannion. Um, I went with with Jones not just because he's from Minnesota, but because I think well a lot of these guys are, are, have been similar players. These two are pretty much polar opposites. I mean, Mannion is a, a decent pick and roll playmaker, but quite good on his day. And pull up shooter, who I think is really, really good at like relocating off the ball and, and finding open pockets of space to, to shoot from. But I think Jones is, I think he'll, he'll develop enough where he's enough of a neutral or, you know, slight positive on offense to really allow his defensive expertise to shine. And he's a hounding point guard defender. He, he might have yeah. to claim, you know, for the best point guard defender in the class. Cerebral. Yeah, I th- I think he does. I think yeah, he does. and he's smart like his brother, but with more physicality. Truly, truly elite technique. I mean, he's six foot three or six foot two and a half and one hundred eighty five pounds, which is a, a genuine concern. But and it'll probably limit him to just being a, a one position defender. But I don't think it'll stop him from being a real plus on the defensive end. I think he's just. He's a ball hawk. He can, you know, guard you straight up and, and defend you without getting the hands in there. He he's a crisp off the ball rotator. I mean, he just seems to have it defensively. You know, he's just one of them guys. Like Tyus has that exceptional IQ on offense, and, and I don't mean to compare the two, but like Tyus has that exceptional IQ offensively. That's kind of just an innate ability to to know what's going on. I think. Trey has that defensively, and that's for Minnesota especially. That could be a really handy guy to have backing up to Angelo Russell, just because obviously Russell struggles on defense. And this and putting a putting a great defender, a great point guard defender like Trey Jones in pick and roll could really allow Towns or or even Nas Reed if it's with the second unit to to flourish as a pick and roll defender because it, it takes so much pressure off those guys. And then, I mean, he's not great offensively, Jones. I don't think he's he's horrible, but he's he's pretty small and he's not really bursty enough to be a good finisher around the rim. He isn't really da- any danger of beating you know beating guys with with his pull up game. But I think this is a strange stat that I kind of pulled up, which he shot twenty one percent on his on his nineteen guarded catch and shoot jumpers. So. But his unguarded yeah. catch and shoot numbers is like ninety. Yeah, so that that's twelfth percentile, and then he hit fifty one point six of his thirty one unguarded attempts. So low volume still, but but I have some optimism that he can at least be a decent catch and shoot guy. He's definitely not a guy that the ball you know sticks in his hands. So I'd be I don't think he's he's a kind of guy who would completely tank an offense. I just don't think he's ever going to be a really good offensive player, even even a plus plus defensive player, but if he can be a neutral and combine that with his ability to really lock down on point guards, then I, I, I still spy a good player. 
Yeah, I also took Trey Jones here, and that's partly because I am not a believer in Nico Mannion at the next level, really. Um, and the reason for that is because I just don't think that Nico Mannion is strong enough or athletic enough to be quite as good of a PNR player as he was at Arizona. He was really, really good manipulating ball screens and angles and, and finding pockets of space. Like you said, it was funny. I had almost the same thing written down. Um, but, but, and, but the thing is, is I just really don't trust his perimeter jump shot. I don't like, um, I, his form, you know, is just a little too hunched for me. Um, and kind of the, I just don't buy that. It's just really a lot more difficult when you have to use more of your legs when you're shooting from, you know, further away and you're hunched over like that, especially trying to shoot over much bigger and athletic defenders. I think he's really going to struggle to create his own shot. Um, and just don't think he's quite as good of a passer, um, to a point where that's going to be able to make up for his lack of, you know, his lack of being a threat to score. And, and with Trey, I think that Trey has, Trey is showtime. Like he's been around really, really great players. He played with Cam Reddish and RJ Barrett, Zion. He knows exactly how to get the ball to guys in their spots. And he, he also knows when to pick his own spots and, and try and pull up and shoot and, and attack the basket. Uh, but the, the biggest worry that I have about Trey is not his is not his jump shot because I think that it got a lot better from year one to year two at Duke. Um, And, you know, just even the fact that he shot, you know, whatever he shot from, from three shot 36% from three this year um, was just a lot more encouraging to me. Um, I, you know, as a guy who, you know, he was the guys would leave him open and and just say, you know, we'll take our chances, go ahead and shoot. Uh, last year to now being an 89th percentile in spot ups, uh, I think was was a huge jump for him. Um, and then obviously the the you know the ball security is another great thing. Is he's always been a great like Tyus, great great assist to turnover ratio guy, and like you said, the the on ball defense. But the other thing too that I think is important uh, with Trey's is leadership. Um, you, you never hear anybody say a bad word about Trey and, and coach K I think coach K would trust Trey Jones with his life. Yeah. Um, and, and just the, the relationship that those two have, I think speaks volumes just about Trey, the guy, and that matters a ton, I think. And especially when you're a point guard and you're a young guy trying to come into the league and you're more of a facilitator than a scorer. Um, and you're on a team, I, you I know, think... if it was Minnesota, that that's full with, full of young guys, you don't want to a negative personality coming in and kind of shaking things up. Like I think he'd be yeah, and, a great and, and, and friend that's and not, teammate for those guys. Yeah. And that's not to take anything away from Nico Manning. Like I'm not no, trying to no, say no. you're saying like Nico Manning isn't a good dude, but like Trey Jones, like his leadership is a legit strength and skill of his. Yeah. And, and, um, and, and I think that's important too, because he, he knows his role. He knows that, you know, he's going to play around guys that are much more, you know, potent threats offensively, whether it be shooting or attacking the basket. And I, he knows that and he studies his own players, his own teammates and, and, and figures out where's, what's the best way I can get this guy, the ball in his spot at this time. Um, and, and, you know, if he can develop a jump shot, that's like tight, Ty, like Tyus, like same thing. Like if he can shoot 35% from three, that's a huge win. Um, and that'll, that'll keep him on the floor. Like you said, because I think he's such a plus defensive guy. Um, and it's again where the leadership comes into play. I mean, it's like 
Bill Raftery says, you know, get those puppies in order. <laughs> um, Trey Jones gets those puppies in order. He, he, you know, is an awesome, unreal point of attack defender, incredible at changing, you know, at flipping his hips and keeping guys in front of him and turning, turning ball handlers, um, forcing them to change direction, which I think is huge. And that's something that, you know, I fully expect to continue. Um, I kind of see a little bit of D'Anthony Melton in, in Trey Jones. Yeah. You know, they're kind of similar in frame, like 6'2", 190. Um, you know, Melton's probably a bit more of an off-ball threat on defense just because he's got a 6'8 wingspan, whereas Trey Jones is closer to 6'4". Uh, but just the way that they hound the hell out of guys on, on defense is, is something that's that's really cool to see. And, and, and if Trey can have, you know, a similar type of impact as D'Anthony Melton has had this year for Memphis, I think... You're talking about a guy that's going to be in the league for a long, long time. Um, and so just because of that, I think Trey's floor is higher. I, I don't think his ceiling is, is crazy high, but, you know, similar to Tyus, a guy that you just genuinely really feel comfortable about having on your on your, on your your basketball. Yeah, exactly. At the, I think both of these guys, yeah, like I said earlier, are probably late first rounders. Trey might slip. I think if Trey slips to 33, they'll definitely consider taking him just because not not to say, you know, a kind of in a nepotism country club way, but the fact he's from Minnesota, the fact that he provides that defensive spark that they clearly need, especially from the guard position. Um, and then I think definite potential to at least become a decent scorer, a guy who, who keeps things ticking over, pretty good playmaker, or at least, you know, a, like I said earlier, not a guy with, with sticky hands, a guy who just knows when to right make the right pass. He might not have quite the the passing IQ that, that Satyas does, but he he de- he does the right things. He's a, a low a low turnover guy, like you said. Just a, a guy who really gets basketball. And and that's it's an underrated skill these days is is guys who just know how to play basketball really well. It's the reason why Brandon Clark slipped so far because everyone looked at age and and three-point shot and, you know, what he couldn't do rather than just looking at the fact that he was just an awesome college player and awesome players don't often get not awesome. Yeah, exactly. And I think, too, that, like, being around Tyus, I think, helped. He's always played up. He started as a freshman at Apple Valley, or he started as an eighth grader at Apple Valley playing varsity, um, or didn't start, but started playing varsity basketball as an eighth grader. Um, and just, like, his exposure to being around guys like that, like being around Howard Pulley guys, um, which is a, a really, really dominant AAU team here in the in the Minneapolis area. Um, and and just being, even like when I was in high school, like being around guys like Jarvis Johnson and Geno Crandall and, and playing against those guys, um, I think was, was huge in his development as a player. Um, and obviously playing around Tyus and his friends and, and, and even being around a guy like Jimmy Butler because him and Tyus were really close yeah. and like there's hilarious post game interviews that Jimmy's given <laughs> of where like all of his answers were related to Trey Jones in some way because they went to they went to you know a Trey Jones game at, at a breakdown event at Hopkins or something like that but um but yeah too I I think I would watch out for Trey Jones going to the Lakers I think that's kind of a or maybe even the Heat I think that's kind of a sneaky yeah. Like two two fits that would just be unreal. Like Goran Dragic is probably going to be leaving Miami this offseason. Wouldn't be surprised if Rondo doesn't come back, even though, you know, obviously he's got ties there with LeBron. Like, I think it'd be interesting, and and I do agree with you completely that if he's there at thirty three, that that Rosas would take a good hard long look at him, just because I I think the Wolves are going to draft a point guard this year. Yeah, um, I do too. 
or, or bring a guy in as an undrafted free agent at some point. Like, I just, I don't know. I, I don't think they're married to Jordan McLaughlin as much as, you know, we love him. Yeah. And I, I think he should be the starting or the, the backup point guard next year. Um, but, but I do think with the way that the Wolves are going to play and, and deploy D'Angelo Russell, that they're going to need a third point guard. Um, and I think Trey would be great. Um, you know, he, he obviously has played with a bunch of NBA caliber athletes, um, in transition like Zion and Cam Reddish and, and his ability to play, make and transition, I think, you know, in a more of a NBA style game has been huge and he's always been around big time guys and has always been able to, to make everybody around him better. And, and hopefully he can do that at the next level, because if he can, um, you know, it'd just be, it'd be fun to have another Jones brother, uh, stick in the NBA. So, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so last pairing, these are, this is one that I'm really interested to see your thoughts on just because this is one of the ones that I struggle to split the most, I think, but, uh, Paul Reed from DePaul or Maryland's uh, Jalen Smith, who you got, Jack? So this one, I agree, is tough. And the reason why I think it's tough is because ultimately I think they're very different players, yeah. but like have just really interesting impacts. Um, so I think that the Jalen Smith, I think he's going to be a really good interior rim presence yeah. um, on defense or interior rim defender on defense. Um, average 2.4 blocks, 0.7 steals, like really, really smart defensive player with his timing and just didn't commit a lot of stupid fouls, which I appreciated. Like he only averaged three fouls a game. And I think if you're only averaging three fouls a game, but you're averaging two and a half blocks, um, I, I think that speaks to just the defensive discipline and verticality that you have rather than, rather than wanting to foul a guy and, you know, just, just constantly swing, swinging arms. You, yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. And, and you see that a lot. Um, and I, yeah, especially with guys that get blocked, yeah. too. Um, you see that a lot, too, or, or guys that just, like, get really frustrated when they get called for fouls. And, um, and you know, that's just not really something that, that you see with Jalen Smith. I think he's interesting, really, really interesting offensively. Um, another guy that's kind of like a synergy superstar, yeah. um, just because he was so, so... I mean, that offense was just so much better with him on the floor than with him off the floor. Um and what what was really interesting to me was how good of a transition guy he was running in yeah. transition, like rim running in transition. And, and especially if, um, you know, he'd switched out onto a guard or a wing on the perimeter, which he can do, um, to be able to then just realize that he doesn't need to go back and get the rebound and just fly up the court, I thought was really, really interesting. Um, and also projects to be a really pretty good three-point shooter and face-up player. Um, you know, I don't really buy his post offense that much in the NBA just because I, I don't think he was really great at throwing his weight around uh, offensively. Uh, but but definitely a guy that can that can knock down an open open jump shot either from the mid range or from beyond the arc. Um, and someone that I think would be a really interesting really interesting guy to pair with Carl Anthony Towns, um, just because of his interior defensive presence and. And his ability to play on the perimeter, I think, would be interesting. It was 84th percentile in catch and shoot opportunities, um, or excuse me, on on defense was uh, was in the 84th percentile on catch and shoot opportunities. And I think that's important because in a in a more spaced out off offense in the NBA, being able to to contest and do it without fouling and without getting, you know shot faked and blown by yeah. I think is, is really key and for a guy of his size to be able to do that was was really great and, and think that he would be just a really solid contributor from the jump 
And as he develops, continues to kind of develop his skills from a ball handling perspective and a, and a passing perspective too, um, it's only going to get better in my opinion. Uh, but but I'm going to go with Paul Reed here, and the reason I'm going to go with Paul Reed is because um, his, his overall defensive versatility I think is is insane. I think outside of maybe Devin Vassell and then Jaden McDaniels, he's the most versatile defender in the draft. Um, just just absolute, you know blow up the play type of guy that that's really smart on the back end of the defense. Um, you know, 2.7 blocks and, and two steals a game, you know, four and a half stocks is, is pretty nuts um, for, for a guy that's six nine two twenty, And, and obviously, you know, really, really athletic too, which is just a lot of fun to watch in the defensive end um, for him. It's all going to come down to whether or not that shot's going to translate. Um, I personally think it will. I think that his touch is actually pretty decent and that 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 his jump shot will continue to get better. I think, you know, it helps when you shoot 74% for your career, albeit on a low volume. He only shot 200 free throws in his career at DePaul. Um, but really was able to carry that DePaul team defensively for stretches and keep them in the game. And I'm a little more biased in the sense that whether the Wolves are going to take a more offensively centric four or defensively centric four I'm not sure but I sure as hell hope it's a defensive one (laughs) and as far as defensive ones go like Paul Reed's got to be up there like I would continue I would I would take a good hard look at Paul Reed if they end up keeping the 16th pick um and and just think that that he would be in my opinion like a perfect guy to put to put next to Cat especially especially defensively yeah I I well, I agree with pretty much everything you said, but but I went on the side of Smith. I mean, I think I'm probably as high on Smith as a, as maybe anyone. I I think he's probably like a a mid to a mid first rounder, maybe you know early twenties. I really I agree. I they're right in that range. Yeah, too. I I think I have Reed a little bit lower just because I'm not sure I buy Reed's shot like you do. I think his form kind of scares me. It's a little bit funky. I think his shot selection at times wasn't great. Like, I mean, I, I think he took too many jumpers with, with a hand in his face, which I guess is just I him, agree. you know, trying to expand his game. Do yeah, too much, too yeah. much. Yeah, and he's a, he's a, such a fun defender. I mean, there's no denying that. Like, Paul Reed is the way he can get into passing lanes, the way he, like, you know, sticks his arm in on entry passes on post ups, uh, is one of the most unique. You know, steals I think that anyone has in this class. Like he just seems to come away with so many steals when he's just being posted up. You know, and it's a decent entry pass, and he kind of just like throws that seven-two wingspan in there and comes away with it. I think he's more athletic than Smith, but I don't think Smith lacks in athleticism at all. Like you said, he a hundred percent. They can both defend on the yeah, and they both really work hard in transition uh, on offense. They get up the floor, a lot of putbacks, you know, when when guards get out on the break and, and miss a layup or get contested, they're always there to clean things up. I just think it's it's the it's the shooting and I think maybe a little bit more defensive discipline from Smith. I think Reed's Reed's highs are definitely higher and I think with the, with a bit longer wingspan and probably a little bit more vertically athletic, he um he can get and recover to more balls, but I think Smith is a better positional defender at the moment and I think he's definitely a better shooter and I really see him 
translating into a into a kind of stretch big who can defend the rim in that kind of unicorn light kind of mold, and that's a really fun player in my in my opinion. I think he's a player that you could definitely sit next to Towns, good recover, you know, a guy who can recover for Towns' mistakes on the backside. Paul Reed could do that as well. I mean, I had trouble splitting these two, but I just think I like what Smith does a little bit more. Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with that. Like, I think Smith's going to be a really good center, like a really good modern center in the NBA, just because I think his shot's only going to get better. And I think, you know, I'm much more sold on on Smith's jump shot than I am on on Paul Reed's. And and kind of it's weird how, like, his hand almost, like, pushes off to the side, kind of, with his shot. He has kind of like a weird hitch, um, like Culver. It's definitely not as pronounced as Culver's is, so don't get totally <laughs> scared when <laughs> when you hear me say that. But... Um, like, I, I don't think that Paul Reed's shot is, is like that. Like, would you agree that it's, it's kind of similar to yeah. Culver's with that, the little like hitch at the end, but I think it's so much closer to being really good. I think it's more wrist um, movement rather than that, um, hitch, like Culver's yeah, is kind of like a, which I think is a hitch in the middle of it, whereas, uh, Reed kind of tends to flick his wrist almost the wrong way, which is, is yeah. probably fairly correctable. Yeah, which I, I would hope so. And I, I don't know. I just think that that and, and I guess part of the reason why I chose Paul Reed is because I think that Paul Reed is probably like the chances that the Timberwolves would draft a guy like Paul Reed, I think, are a lot higher yeah. than they would yeah. that they would draft a guy like Jalen yeah, Smith. For sure. um, and and I just think that Paul Reed is the type of kid that can absolutely swing a game with his defensive impact and presence and he just his instincts and timing and hands especially blowing up uh pick and rolls or switching on to ball handlers like there'd be times where like he would hedge so hard yeah. that like the ball handler would be sideways and he's just such a he would huge too presence. and then he would like when he when he hedges yeah, like, like that he just like swallows up everything around him and he's so good at like swiping at the ball yeah. while he's hedging and then sl- and then kind of slinking around the or kind of angling his body around the you know initial ball handler to get a steal and then just run out in transition he's like a freak athlete yeah. too like yeah. he there are some of his dunks just kind of like i, I cuz i'd i'd you know i'd fox sports one obviously and would be able to watch a lot of big east games like on thursday friday nights and on saturdays and you know like there are times where it's just like the guy just totally sticks out on the screen um, and it just kind of like gets you out of your seat, just excited um, at what he's doing. And, <laughs> and and it's not to say that Jalen Smith doesn't have that as well. I think that it's just that like Paul Reed stuck out to me more and just like, I don't know, I guess I'm, I'm more interested in like the, <laughs> the like Paul Reed highlight the like his ceiling, I guess. Yeah. I, I just like draws me more to Paul Reed than Smith. Smith is just like so fundamentally sound and so solid where like it almost doesn't get you excited. You know yeah. what I mean? Like where it's just like so routine and he makes everything look so easy that it just doesn't get you going quite as yeah. much as like seeing Paul Reed just like rotate out of nowhere out of the corner on the backside to just smother a dude at the And end. I think that, that um, segues into like that Reed probably has more potential because if he starts to string those like ridiculous highlights together, you know, if he does like the the dunks and the massive backside blocks and the 
the leak out, you know, block a jump shooter and leak out in transition. Like, if he turns oh that from God. from three times a game to six times a game, all of a sudden you've got a really, really good player. Yeah, like you could have an almost more athletic Paul Millsap. Player. Yeah. Or like, and both of, both of them really good in the pick and roll, like especially Reed, just because he can just fly and just grab any sort of pick and roll lob. Like, you just throw the ball up there and he's going to go and collect it. Yeah, it's it's incredible. Like, I, it's so fun for me to watch, and it's something that I think will absolutely translate. And, like, I really hope that that ask, like his aggression on defense and his confidence, like he's so confident on defense. Yeah. I really hope that that translates because I think, you know, we see guys that are like Jared Culver was an awesome defender at Texas tech last or two years ago and last year. And he almost just kind of wasn't as confident in himself because of the offensive struggles. Yeah. Um, and I think that was because he was more of a primary offensive option. And with Paul Reed, you know, like Paul Reed, yes, was a, was a key option for DePaul, but like, wasn't their, you know, go-to isolation guy when you need a bucket. And because of that, I think you're going to see more of that kind of confidence and swagger from Paul Reed carry over just because, you know, he's not freaking out about not playing very well offensively, if you will. Um, you kind of know what I mean. Yeah, I think he, I think he, know, I think he like, knows where his bread is buttered. And that's, and that's exactly. you know, being a crazy good defender who can chip in on offense and hold his own, and a really, really good rebounder. Yeah. I mean, I think that's one thing... Right. We, I kind of get... That's one thing we hadn't brought up, Go is ahead. that he is a really good rebounder, which ties into the size and the, the ability to, to jump over guys, but also just a good, like, good boxing out, really has a nose for the ball, and, and really wants to rebound, and I think that's that's another important thing, especially if he was to be on Minnesota. I mean... You're you're pulling me towards the the Paul Reed side here, just because I'm imagining him, you know, pulling down boards and, and taking pressure off Cat defensively, and then it, now the three point shot doesn't seem as you know important to me, just because maybe if he can hit thirty two, thirty three percent, and then really hone in on on all those crazy gifts that he has, he, he could be such a fun prospect. Yeah, and especially, too, because, you know, like, Minnesota's already going to have shooters. Like, if he played with, like, D'Lo, Malik, Cat, yeah. I mean, those are already three shooters, and then you put in, like, a layman with them or someone like that, that would be a really fun lineup Yeah, uh, for for a lot of different reasons. But, but, yeah, too, I think, too, you know, the other aspect of, of Paul Reed's game that could get unlocked, too, if he, if he develops a somewhat respectable jumper is uh, is essentially – him just attacking closeouts I th- with how athletic he is and how much ground he can cover with one dribble like he could get one dribble and then dunk all over somebody yeah. from anywhere on yeah. the perimeter um which is just and, and he's not and he's not afraid to do it either, yeah uh which is sweet and like if paul reed was a timberwolf and Jarrett vanderbilt also kind of like reached his potential or became like a key rotational impact guy and culver too like if, if those three guys became you know, somewhat playable, all like all somewhat playable, you know, rotational guys on the wing. I mean, that's those are that's some like, that's some Paul long, Reed, Vander- that's some long boys. Yeah, like long dudes that could just blow shit yeah. up on both on defense, which would be really cool to see. And obviously, like I'm kind of getting ahead of myself with like 
thinking that Jared Culver <laughs> and Jared Vanderbilt are both going to end up being like really good defenders. But like, and, and the other thing too, like back with the rebounding, like Paul Reed and Cat, I think that's instantly one of the best rebounding front courts yeah. in and basketball. completely if changed they, from this year where they just couldn't, they just could just not like rebound and it. they got out rebounded in so many games that kind of you know cost them little cheap offensive rebounds that when they finally did get a stop and then a putback would happen, uh, such momentum killers. A sneaky, huge weakness yeah. that the Timberwolves yeah. have. One of the like, things that it, frustrated it something... me the most watching this team. Yeah, we're like, you probably don't notice it quite all that much if, if you're just watching a Timberwolves game here and there, but for all of us that, you know, that watch them every night, um, it's just so aggravating and can make it so difficult to get into ga- get back into games if you're down and you need to get stops. Like the Timberwolves could get stops, but they just couldn't. But like Cat can't get every rebound. Yeah. And Josh Kogi, Cat and Josh Kogi cannot be your two best rebounders. <laughs> like you need to have another interior presence with Cat that's that's there getting rebounds and and Paul Paul Reed would be would be really really fun. I just hope that you know the front office isn't really looking for a super offensively centric four uh, just because uh, thinking that, you know, we can't have two somewhat negative offensive players if we're going to start Josh too. Yeah. Um, and I don't think but Reed or time, Smith like, would be negatives on offense. Maybe not guys who can score 20, but, but definitely guys who can give you consistent offensive minutes. Yeah. Like if they just play to their strengths, they don't yeah, try and do yeah. too much. The scheme needs to be um, good around those two guys, I think. Yeah, but like you're gonna, in my opinion, I think that you could reasonably expect to get anywhere from sixty-five to eighty points a night from Cat, D'Lo, and Beasley. Yeah. And if you really only then need to string along, you know, sixty points from the rest of your whole rotation, anywhere from forty-five to sixty points from the rest of your rotation, um. I, like you throw Layman out there, like Layman could average eight points a game. If you had, you know, a guy like Juan, if Wancho stuck around, like he could get you ten in a given Josh night. Can get like you ten, Jared um, can get you ten. You know, like especially with some right, some like you. Yeah, like it, scoring the ball isn't going to be as big of a problem for the Timberwolves, and I, it's just like I think they just really need to start thinking about who can we get that can help us play defense right away, and just like be a star in their role and um i i like paul reed is like top of the list for me there it's like devin vassell and then like paul reed is guys that fit perfectly at that kind of four spot where you know you can plug them in and and things could change things could change right away like i think those getting those two guys or Patrick Williams, I should say, would, would be above Paul Reed, obviously, yeah. for me. But, like, if you could get two of those three guys in this draft, I would be Ooh, yeah. I would be over the moon. Yeah. It would be it would be pretty incredible. Yeah. So. Well, that, that's the whole – that's the what, – what was it? Six pairings. I mean, they're the, they're the kind of later first-round, second-round guys. Most of those guys, I guess, you're either, you're either reaching for them at, at 16 or you're hoping they fall to 33. But – we both think that at least one of these picks are going to be traded, so it's still pretty much up in the air. I mean, what have we got? 19 days now until the, the draft lottery, so that's getting closer. A little bit more news there. We'll, we'll probably get into our big boards soon, I guess. Like, would that be good for you? Yeah, 
Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, I've still got some work to do. Yes, I've still got some work to do with mine, um, especially kind of as it relates to to the back half of the first round. But I, I'd, I'd probably be ready to go with with a top fourteen or fifteen in the next two weeks. I'd hope so. Yeah. Well, um, yeah. I think it'd be it'd be it'd be interesting. I'm 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 really interested to see what what yours are and just kind of see where our where our different priorities lie. Um, as it relates to that. Yeah, and, and they'll obviously be just uh, a, an in-general one rather than one that's completely focused on the fit and, and how they were, would slot into Ryan Saunders' system with Minnesota. So I'm really interested to see as well what kind of differences we have, you know, in, in that respect. But I guess for this show, that should that's probably about it. Uh, thanks, as usual, Jack. You can find Jack on, on Twitter at is it JRBorman13. That's that's correct. And you should follow him if you don't, or we are not friends. And then I'll see all you guys next week. Thanks again, Jack. Yeah, absolutely, man. Always a good time, and uh, I'm looking forward to uh, to the next time. Thank you. Um, yeah, see you later, guys.